when I started to research and report uh, from the ground, I uh, traveled across the country. These inequalities were pretty invisible, were pretty visible to me. And but if you looked at it from uh, in the mainstream media, it was as if these did, just did not exist. Uh, these the issues of uh, women and gender diverse persons were completely absent from uh, the mainstream media, and I wondered why. Welcome back to Media Voices, everybody. We take a look at all the news and the views in the media world over the past week. I'm Chris Sutcliffe. I'm Esther Thorpe. And I'm Peter Houston. And that clip you just heard is from my interview with Banapriya Rao, who is founder of Behanbox, an Indian publication whose mission is to centre voices of women and gender diverse people through evidence and data-driven reporting. So we spoke about the inequalities in access to media in India, how Behanbox hopes to make real changes for women, and why data is so important in their reporting. It's a really great publication and I'd love you to check it out. Um, we will put a link to it in the show notes. MediaGazer are running a promo for our newsletter this month. Thank you, MediaGazer. They are the homepage of breaking trends and commentary for publishers and media owners. Go to MediaGazer.com or follow them on Twitter. Before we begin, though, we're going to do a quick update on last week's story in which Esther said... Talk, Talk TV knew. is literally entirely hung off Piers Morgan. If Piers Morgan walks, the channel's done. Well, in a move that is eerily similar to Andrew Neil taking a quote-unquote break from GB News and then just never returning, Morgan is taking a six-week break from the struggling news channel, presumably to have talk about his low, low ratings and then to never return. Can I just put a so, prediction here? I think because he's leaving or, or he's on a break, I think it'll absolutely tank during his break. And I don't know if yeah. he'll come back from this. So our main story is about access and representation in media. And there's been a collection of stories this week about costs blocking people on lower incomes from accessing news. And as a kind of corollary of that, the absence of working class voices in the news media, all media. So Peter, what was the the spark that, <laughs> that, that lit this uh, story in the your mind? blue touch paper. Uh, they missed a report in the in, in press Gazette. Um, they were reporting on a Deloitte Enders Media Telecoms Conference. Um, and what someone from the audience, I guess, asked a question about, you know, should all news, I guess, or will all news end up being paywalled? Which the moderator, uh, Kamal Ahmed, who, is, who used to be the editorial director at BBC, said, oh, you mean, um, is everything going to be posh news for posh people that can pay for it? I, can I just say, I'm delighted that it has been reworded that way because we dance <laughs> around that so often. And we've talked about this for a long, long time. We've spoken about this for years. It has been yep. um, it has been my bugbear ever since I heard people start saying, oh, actually, good journalism needs to be paid for, as though that was justification for locking people out of access to news. Yep. And what um, does need to be paid for, but it's how you... Well, exactly. How, how do you do it? Yeah, that's the yep. start of the conversation. It's not the end of it. So, FT... Commerce exec John Slade. <laughs> Actually, the way this is framed is a little bit like it re- everyone's it really, picking on the FT. It really makes John Slade sound <laughs> yeah. like he's all for it, but, but yeah, he's clearly he, not. Yeah, because he kind of said, yeah, it's possible. But, you know, we, if someone asked me this question, I would say it's possible. And he at no point seems to have said it was a great idea. He just said it's possible. Um, I think it's, the, and, the FT have made, have made recent moves too low the barrier to access for their journalism because so, I, I actually spoke to their um one of their editors yeah, the about this. She, she, she said that the their their sort of 30 pound a month subscription is very much aimed at 
financial people, business people, like it is, it is almost a sort of very specialist financial type of coverage. But they do loads and loads more and they were kind of looking at it saying, well, how do we open this up to people who aren't going to pay that? Which is why they've done the FT edit, which is their 99p a month app with the, I think that's the eight stories a day they're looking at at the moment. And that's the sort of thing you, they, you they can They also like. took a proper public service view of COVID. Yeah. They did, yeah. And the Ukraine uh, war. At the same time, this report from Holland was reported by the FEX. And it was a qualitative report basically asking people, it wasn't a huge sample, it was like 70 people, but saying, why don't you pay for news or why do you not want to pay for news? And they were given a free service and uh, then asked about it. And on the, it wasn't all about money, why they wouldn't pay for it. Some of it was technical access issues. But on the price side of things, they said it was too, price was too high, specifically the price was too high compared to print. Also, there was a whole issue with subscription fatigue and, you know, there's a bunch of reasons why people don't pay for news. So <laughs> it's a very real issue and it's not just a UK issue. The point of all that is to say that, yeah, there is a growing sort of like bifurcation in terms of how newspapers and online news sources think about news. Is it kind of that very rarefied people will pay for access to that very, very in-depth reporting and then, you know, anybody else who can't can just go hang. And there's the people who like The Guardian, like the FT around COVID and um, the Ukraine war, who actually say, no, there is a genuinely public service um, thing that we need to do here to actually make it accessible to people. I think one of the other problems, and this is another, this was another report in the, in the Press Gazette talking about UK journalism's class problem. And that's, if you talk about journalism's class problem is one aspect to this, but management has the same class problem and people probably, you know, maybe find it difficult to get their head around the idea that not everyone can pay for this stuff. That's such a good point as well. How we, you know, we talk about representation and diversity in newsrooms, and luckily there has been some movement made on, you know, gender parity and getting people from minority ethnic backgrounds into those news environments. But you're right. If you have grown up not knowing what it is to have to budget and yeah. to not know what it is to have to like prioritize things and do triage for your outgoing bills, of course you're not going to understand that news can't be paid for all the time. It doesn't make you any better than the politicians who sit there saying, you can cook a meal for 30p. Yeah, ex- yeah exactly. And I have yeah. actually oh. no idea about the, the realities of that. Trust in the news media is actually very low. Yeah. Why would they choose to prioritize that over anything else? Well, if you can't afford to put petrol on your car to get to work, in a country whose public transport system sucks, what are you going to do? Oh, I'll, I can't come to work today. I've just paid my Guardian contribution or my <laughs> yeah. Telegraph subscription or, or whatever. Well, this is this is the thing in the UK is that I feel like we're always a bit, a bit of a disadvantage discussing this because we've got the BBC, which for, oh, for, for all its faults, no. fault it does do an awful lot of really excellent work in, in reporting and... There's very little need to know stuff that they don't do. That is true up to a point, but there's loads of communities in this country, whether it's local communities or whether it's people of a particular ethnicity or sexual orientation or whatever it is, that would argue with what you've just said about the BBC. There was a story, I don't know if you knew anything about this, if it's a particularly Scottish thing, but there was a story about Michelle Moan, who's a lord, or a, no, she's not a lord, she's a dame, and her apartment or a flat in, in London was raided around some PPE deal or whatever. It was never reported on the BBC. 
I was going to say, yeah, the, the issue is that we don't have a plurality of free-to-access yeah, media exactly. increasingly. That's a much better word, Christopher. <laughs> plurality. So, I mean, there's no, there's obviously no easy solution to this. And I think that, I do think that John Slade is probably ruining <laughs> the fact that he, he phrased it that way. <laughs> yeah, it's not fair on what he, he does <laughs> no. say, yes, make all news paid. There's a there's another point to this though, which is that publishers are diversifying their own revenue strategies in such a way that they can afford to, in, to some extent, subsidise free to access news. So, Esther, what's Tortoise doing there? Well, Tortoise have always had this thing with their memberships that they, I mean, the access to news and the affordability of it has is, is always been one of the things that they've really felt passionately about. So they've had this thing where when, once you buy a membership, they sort of set a membership aside for. Um, a, a sort of disadvantaged group or students or, or whatever. They've, they've got a huge range of um, free subscriptions on offer. Makes it very difficult to gather how many subscribers they actually have. But yeah, mm-hmm. they, they've very much got this pay it forward approach to all of the stuff they do. Um, yeah, their, their podcast subscription thing is is slightly different in that they um, they've got a number of podcasts that they put out. Um, and if you're a, if you're a member, you get them you know ahead of time, ad free, and all of that. Um, if you listen on the main on the major platforms, most of them are then ad supported, which enables them to, to pay for it. Um, but they've also just started using Apple Podcast subscriptions um, to gate some of the podcasts. If you don't want to pay for a full Tortoise membership, you can just pay for just the podcast subscription, which is you know a couple of quid a month. I don't think that necessarily solves the, uh, the entire access problem, but it is mm. just interesting in the way that um, it's, it's something Jack Marshall actually spoke about a couple of weeks ago that he thinks is as these huge subscription packages start to become maybe a bit unappealing to consumers, publishers will start maybe slicing certain things off and saying, do you want to subscribe to just this aspect or just this aspect or like a, a sort of light subscription, a little bit like the FT edit. You know what that sounds like? Micropayments. I was just about to say, yeah, we're, <laughs> we're, we're getting there. For, we're getting yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, I suppose it's not in the city, you know, in the micropayment in terms of the actual amount, but in terms it's of micro you know, for access to one article or whatever. It's not the same you know, thing. In the bad old days, if you what, take 2022, micro, <laughs> if you take micro payments and apply it to a newspaper, it was just spending 50 pence on buying a paper. There's nothing new under the sun in that sense. Well, oh, the, the sun, the, eh? The, the Don't buy the sun, is, people. The equivalent here is spending 50p just to buy the sports section. Unless you get the, I saw something the other day about Axit, this is, you know, other payment systems are available. Um, doing a day pass, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. Mark Stenberg did a thing about that a couple of months ago, where he he said that he he didn't think the economics of micropayments would ever work, but day passes definitely would. Yeah, I mm. think that's an interesting one. Oh, they need to come up with a different phrase though, because it just makes me think about going to Alton Towers. <laughs> Fast track. Yeah, exactly. Ride the roller coaster of news. Oh God! Oh God! What would that even look like? That's horrendous. You go through like a big tunnel at the end, and it's just and it's just it's just got Pierce Morgan's face on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh no! Here's how you do that really, really well. You cover the actual carts in like newspaper print, so you look like you're the pages, and you're going through the printing press, and that's how you do sort of like (laughs) that's how you make it a news specific roller coaster. This sounds like a, a computer game or a, <laughs> like what was it called roller coaster tycoon roller coaster tycoon you can newspaper tycoon newspaper roller that, coaster tycoon is that a thing newspaper tycoon <laughs> game news tycoon right sorry we won't one. have an episode next week we'll all be news tycoon. <laughs> so yeah please do tune into my stream on twitch.tv <laughs> forward slash chris sutz where i'll be playing news tycoon 
And now for news in brief, big news from the world of magazines this week. Condé Nast, founded over 100 years ago, publisher of GQ, The New Yorker, Vogue, Wired, serving 72 million people in print, is no longer a magazine company. Well, surely you mean it's folded then, because what other possible explanation could there be for that statement? Well, they've decided because they have 400 million people on their social feeds and 300 and something million going to their websites, that they're not a magazine company anymore. Well, what what are they? Uh, a digital first something or other I don't know mm, this, this, so this story really wound me up and and I get there's some people that, pro, that are saying that it probably shouldn't have wound me up because I'm focusing <laughs> on one aspect of it and it's very true but I just get really annoyed when people say magazines are dying magazines are dead we are not a magazine company we're a software company we're a media magazine media company whatever and they dance around on the head of a pin worse than a Tory minister trying to defend <laughs> Boris Johnson just because they want to appear digital first and it does my head in. I don't care if Condé Nast thinks they're a, a magazine company. I really don't. That's oh yeah, no, I could tell by the, uh, by the by the rant <laughs> that you published well, on Voices.media. That's up to them but you know, but just fuck off and leave the rest of us that care about magazines to get on with it. Stop putting down magazines just because you make you think it makes you sound more investable. It's also the, it's this idea that a magazine is literally just the printed pages, and Glamour, who are now <laughs> digital first, would very much disagree with that. They would still very much mm. call themselves a magazine company, even though they print once a year. You could be you could be a magazine and only publish on Instagram if the content was good enough and it was magazine yeah. content. Instagram launched its own magazines about, gosh, a couple of years ago now, three mm. or four years ago. It's people trying to distance themselves from that world. It's, and it's... It's so sad. Yeah. And to dismiss 70 million customers who give you and money... And the staff. For the, and the staff that make it. It's, I just think it's beyond insensitive. <sighs> So yeah, that's my little rant for the week. You can read it on the website, but if you don't want to read it on the website, I'm basically saying don't throw your babies out with the bathwater, especially when you have such great looking babies as Vogue <laughs> and GQ and the New Yorker and Wild. Well, if you don't want to read it, just call Peter up on 07825 yeah. <laughs> and, and just tell him that you don't think it's a bad magazine company anymore and listen to the rant. And moving on, Esther, you had a hard time <laughs> writing your nib because of uh, endless euphemisms. Phrases that are normally absolutely fine um, do not <laughs> do not go well with Playboy. Um, this is also a magazine story, but it, well, is it a magazine story? Because Playboy ditched their print edition in 2020. Um, anyway, Play, Playboy aren't slowing down despite not being a print magazine anymore. Um, they launched their centerfold platform in December, which is basically an OnlyFans rival. Um, OnlyFans mm. for the... How would you describe OnlyFans if you're not in the know? It's like a. It's it is a um, subscription creator platform. Pla- no, it's a creator platform uh, that allows direct subscriptions to people who are creating content, but sometimes quite specialist content. Basically, you can subscribe. You can subscribe to mainly women who take their tops off if you pay them a monthly fee. Um, so Cardi B is centerfold creative director, which I I didn't know that was a. That's news to me. Um, but anyway, so the story here is that Playboy are actually looking to build up a network of influencers to act as a talent pool and help promote Centrefold. So um, the drummer's got a really interesting piece looking at how that's all working and their plans to accelerate their DTC business. 
Um, and I can't, I really can't say any more than that because <laughs> I just start <laughs> laughing. So um, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. I, I mean, I think it's kind of, in, I think it's an interesting one. And, you know, there's it's nothing the wrong with It's the most modern idea Playboy had in a long yeah. time. But, well, apart from the Rabbitars and their big That's, NFT push. Even that sounds wrong. Big NFT push. <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing wrong with launching an OnlyFans. And I wish I hadn't gone last here because I always feel like I'm bringing the news roundup down at the end. But semi-related to our main story, the BBC's uh, DG, Tim Davey, has announced a huge tranche of cost-cutting measures across the corporation. We were talking about the BBC before and its vital role in providing free-to-access news for people across the UK and worldwide, actually. Um, So I can't put how worrying this is any better than James O'Malley. So I'm just going to quote him here and we'll put a link to his blog piece about this in the uh, news roundup. In the long run, this will undermine the universality at the core of the BBC bargain, which will send the corporation into a death spiral. Fewer people will see the value in the BBC, so fewer people will pay the licence fee, which means smaller budgets for the BBC, which means less money to spend on content, and on the death spiral goes. But hey, we can all watch Nadine on TikTok, so it's okay. (laughs) It's not like we'll have nothing to watch. So this week I spoke to Banapriya Rao, who is founder of Behanbox. I started by asking her what gaps she identified in the market and how she went about starting the publication. So India is a very unequal country. Uh, There's uh, gender inequality, there's massive caste inequality, but a very insidious form of inequality, and there is wealth inequality. And I used to work as a public policy advocate and as a a grassroots activist, and it was plain for me to see when I worked uh, that laws and policies weren't working for the most marginalized and 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 women and gender diverse persons in the country uh, and in 2018 when i started to research and report uh, from the ground i uh, traveled across the country these inequalities were pretty invisible were pretty visible to me and but if you looked at it from uh, in the mainstream media it was as if these did, just did not exist uh, these the issues of uh, women and gender diverse persons were completely absent from uh, the mainstream media, and I wondered why. Uh, and it's fairly clear to see that most of our newsrooms in India are not diverse at all. Uh, they are led by upper caste men who were uh, in in the states as capitals or in the national capitals. So there was the tyranny of distance. And at that time, I thought to myself that wouldn't it be nice if there was an outlet which exclusively told stories of women uh, and gender diverse persons, women whose, uh, you know, 50% of the population whose lives and stories are never told. And this was this was around uh, late in 2019. And just as this idea was simmering in my head, early 2020, uh, the pandemic struck. And it was Again, plainly uh, clear to me that uh, you know, with with these existing inequalities, the lives of women are going to be massively overhauled. They're going to be they're going to be affected very badly. Their lives would be lost. Their livelihoods would be lost. Uh, their their uh, gender based violence would increase. And so, I thought that this was just the moment that, despite all the challenges we were facing at that time, that we really there was a sense of urgency then to start. Um, start this thing that has been simmering in my head, and uh, and 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 so this this exclusive outlet which told stories of women and gender diverse persons came to be about. We we, we started this, um, 
and and we we kept thinking oh what should we call it uh and uh you know we came up with the name behen box because behen in hindi means sister and ah. as this was exactly this was this was about an outlet talking about women uh we thought that uh, no other name better sort of reflected the shared culture history and and a struggle against uh, patriarchy and oppression in a way that behen did and so it was it was just a uh, it just sort of simple for us to go with the name behen box and that's how behen box came to be and that's so sort of interesting from the from the perspective of the like the media organizations in india what's consumption like are there big inequalities in the way that people access news and important information there definitely is a big uh, a big uh, inequality uh, if you uh, al- although uh, you know with with digital access uh, things are improving quite a bit um with uh, but there are there are certain you know the inequalities that you see in the rest of the society are also visible in uh, you know in in the way news and uh, information is consumed so with digital with the use of uh, which which depends on the use of smartphones even though the penetration is increasing it is still uh, you know highly unequal in the sense that women have less ownership of mobile phones uh, in fact i think about 30% women in uh, rural and semi urban india or and and also the rest of india if you look at the figures uh, own and operate uh, mobile phones so so those inequalities then manifest in the way uh, people mm. consume information and news but here's the thing also that what we found was that uh, you know the demand for this information and news uh, uh, from the 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 uh, the population that's left out is also increasing uh in fact the latest survey says that about some something about 15% of women actually read newspapers in india um so so you see the that sort of inequality then seeps into uh into every facet of your life really and so news consumption is not going to be any different but that need for information especially among the young indian women uh from semi urban india the, that that's very aspirational is increasing quite a lot so is that your target audience is the people you're writing about rather than um hoping to sort of convince existing elites or or people that normally consume this sort of thing actually both as we were part of the gni startups lab and one of the things we were we did as part of design thinking was to go to our audience existing audience and understand what is it uh, what is our value proposition for uh, uh, uh what what is the value we bring to uh, to them and and most of them were urban indian women uh, right what we realized was that what these women told us was that uh, you know we live in such privileged bubbles ourselves that the lives of the women that you write about uh which is women from semi urban rural india we just have no idea of the lives they live and what the f- and more importantly not just the lives they live but also you know the reasons why they live the kind of lives they live what are the structures that are that are forcing them to uh, li- live the kind of uh, unequal lives uh, that they live uh, which is different from their own so we saw that that kind of information not just out, uh, about the 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 lives of women outside of their own privileged bubbles was 
important for them and they needed more of that uh, having said that we also do stories uh, we also it, it's not just about the stories but the formats in which we tell our stories are using podcasts and uh, more visual narratives uh, in local languages uh, at the moment we are using only hindi which is one of the uh, languages that's spoken by a large majority in the northern part of india uh, we trying to reach uh, this audience that is not served um the uh, the young indian aspirational women who speak hindi uh through these formats but the the core value of our storytelling uh, uh remains for both sets of audiences it's just the formats that we use are different for different sets of audiences yeah i mean that's that's an enormous task um how how big is your team like do you use freelancers a lot to go into those communities and find those stories that's true we our core team is pretty small we are four or, or four of us and as it goes with any startup uh but what we had started doing very early in our uh, in our uh, in our venture was to uh, team up with freelancers um and uh, so these are freelancers who go out and report but what we also do work with are women's women led collectives that are based within these communities in the hinterlands in rural india uh, so uh, and the reason for doing that is because no one knows the communities better than these people do and the other thing uh, really was for us to develop this ethic and ethos by which communities of women come from those communities tell their own stories so we employ these two uh, uh these two sort of strategies to get stories from from places that are so difficult to reach and uh, sort of ac- have access to yeah um you mentioned you were part of the google news initiative what did they do as part of that course to help you i suppose change and, and focus what you're doing Right um so when we started uh, Behn Box uh, we started as i told you earlier from the gap that we saw uh, as as journalists and researchers uh and and it it seemed like we wanted to do because we it was the right thing to do and we wanted to correct a historical wrong right mm. uh with the gn and in november 2021 a year into our operations really we were selected as part of the google news initiative startup lab and very early what they helped us do was to sort of make our thinking more audience centric uh you know we we thought we were reporting because that was that was the right thing to do we were reporting on things that needed to be reported upon what google news initiatives uh, startup lab helped us do was to start help us thinking from the audience's point of view and uh very uh, very interestingly uh in some ways what we were doing uh, already and what the audience wanted sort of intersected but what it also helped us realize was that we were looking at an audience initially because of the depth with which we tell our stories uh, at an audience which was between 25 to 45 urban indian women um right mm. but with with the with our audience research as part of the labs we soon very quickly realized was that our audience was much younger actually between 18 to 25 and that kind of made us uh, relook at our, at the strategies not really uh, in terms of the 
stories we were telling or the way we were telling our stories but in the formats we we were going to tell our stories right uh, yeah. the second thing that it helped us really was to look at our our venture and our 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 business as a whole and before that we were looking at it as uh, as a exclusively reportage led initiative uh, we which is still our core at the moment but what we've also tried to do is to move a little bit away from just thinking about what we report on and to think about how we are serving the communities we are serving right so so in terms of in terms of really audience strategies in terms of the formats that we use to report on tell our stories um and and also to then then look at it as a business as well uh, uh which which was which was really a key big takeaway for us we were also i think the the biggest takeaway for, for us was was our own value proposition where we were looking at behen box as just an information giving reportage journalism outlet and through our audience interviews the aud- audiences told us that well we are actually in the business of change uh, so so all our <laughs> strategies from there on really flow towards giving the tools necessary for the audience who are who have been telling us that you know your stories are helping us think we want to make the change so we are now in the business of saying oh okay how do we report and how do we create those tools uh, to give the audience that means to make the change And you you said you you thought quite a bit about different formats um and I know you've mentioned podcasts and things like that. Are you on social media much like is that is that is there a demand for that? Uh yes, we are on all uh, forms of popular social media. Um and the biggest growth we've seen on social media uh as far as social media is concerned is Instagram. And that should tell you how much wow. young audience <laughs> really wants the information and those tools that we've been talking about. Uh right? So uh our social our, our Instagram is growing like uh, uh and growing very organically um uh, twitter and linkedin is where a lot of our audience comes for uh, from uh, to our website uh and and podcasts uh we've like i said we've developed these podcasts mainly in hindi at the moment because we wanted to reach the audience that is completely left out from this english language journalism um and uh, so we we developed some of those uh, podcasts for our hindi language especially young adolescent girls um and 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 women who live in areas that are just not known to most mainstream in uh, most, most indians in urban india um uh, but what we also want to do is to start to also serve the urban indian women also in terms of uh, you know knowledge about laws and policies and the history of feminism and and so many other things so we are looking at podcasts as a big medium uh, going forward to reach different sets of audiences uh, the other thing we do also is work with community radio se- uh, stations so there is there is an audience that still in urban and rural uh, uh semi urban and rural india that uses uh, that has access to smartphones but we are talking about communities that live in absolute sort of any kind of information uh, access so complete sort of black holes and that those are those are places where community radio reaches so we are tying up with community radio uh, stations to make these audio formats available to them uh, uh, so that they they're able to reach 
those women that even do not have access to mobile phones. You've talked quite a lot about the the kind of people you're hoping to reach. What makes a Behan Box story uh, when when you're sort of sitting there and planning what you're going to write or cover? What yeah, what what, what focuses you? Uh, right. So uh, you know, like I said, the core of our of our work is still gender journalism. Uh, we these other formats are ways in which we want to reach our audience. So when we plan a story. Um, for us, every issue is a gender issue. So we don't look at women's issues as gender issues alone, right? So right. we, yeah. uh, agriculture is a gender issue. Uh, uh, labor is a gender issue. Uh, violence is a gender issue. Um, uh, disability is a gender issue. So, uh, and we look at different forms of intersectionality. So intersect, we are big on intersectionality. That is really the core of, uh, you know, our reportage. So when we, when we look at an issue as a gender issue, uh, it range, it's wide ranging, but also the way we look at stories is that we don't report, uh, on, on an event, we don't say that uh, a, a person has had a, a instance of sexual violence. Okay, what we try to do is to build that interconnectedness. We tell people the why of things. We tell our reportage, our stories, very, uh, very uh, in a big way. Talk about why things are the way they are. Why is it? Why is the justice system not working for? the most marginalized women who uh, face sexual violence. Uh, why is it that um, we don't say, for example, that three in 10 women uh, in India uh, are victims of domestic violence. We talk about why violence should be a public health issue and how hospitals and other sort of institutions are failing women who are, who are survivors of domestic violence. So the why is a big part of our storytelling. Uh, the third thing that we do, uh, and this is again very important, is that stories of certain communities that need to be told. We always ensure that those are told by women uh, who come from those communities. And this way, we are, what we ensure is that the lens with which they are able to tell their own stories are uh, is preserved. Is so people. So it's not like someone else, uh, even if it's a woman, uh, someone from a more privileged community uh, or a general community is telling the stories of women from marginalized communities. So these are some of the things that we really ensure uh, that goes into our storytelling. Uh, so every Behenbox story is, you will see, is uh, follows these uh, principles. And, and, the, and the other thing that we focus a lot on is every story is led by policy as well. So we are telling you where policies are failing or making an impact. We are telling you where laws, uh, laws work or do not work. And we are combining data. So what we're also trying to tell you is the scale of the problem with the use of uh, any form of available data uh, 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 which tells you how prevalent a particular problem is for women and uh, gender diverse persons. And lastly, we do not look at gender in binaries. Uh, gender is diverse. And that is something we are trying to also sort of bring about a change in people's thinking and in the even in the kind of storytelling that happens in um, in in mainstream media. Yeah, uh, th that data point's interesting. How do you go about sourcing the data? Are there challenges with that? 
so the data that we mostly use is uh, publicly available government data and there's a reason for that uh, because government is the biggest institution that collects data <laughs> and we can use the we can use government's own data to uh, sort of hold them accountable um you know so so which is why we mostly use government data uh, there are several challenges uh, a because in a country like india where where the whole data ecosystem is sort of just now developing uh, into into uh, something a little more robust um, finding data is is a big challenge especially as we're talking about gender data so to find mm. gender and sex disaggregated data on a lot of issues is still uh, quite a problem because governments don't collect uh, data in that uh, format um the second problem is uh, especially as we are talking about gender diverse persons the 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 data that governments collect are still in binaries there are men and women uh, even though there are laws saying now that data needs to be collected on trans persons as well but very few instances um uh, is that being uh, actually carried out so so that is another additional challenge so if you wanted to talk about trans persons and their situation in the country you're still relying on old 2011 census data um so so there is uh, there is uh, that all of that and one of the reasons why we use data and we focus data apart from as i mentioned talking about the scale of an issue is really to also impress using our storytelling and uh, and mentioning so wherever wherever uh, possible we mention where the gaps in data are right so yeah in some ways we feel that at some point governments take notice of this um, this lack of uh, data or the lack of diversity in data uh, the other important big challenge we find is that even where data is available in sex disaggregated formats it's in it's at a national level so to find subnational or local level data uh, to tell local level stories uh, to to sort of uh, enhance the look uh, stories at the local and subnational level becomes quite a bit of a challenge and that needs to uh, really also change um, and this this is why oh, this is this is also one of the reasons why we use data to make the data collection and ecosystems better. And and given the way that much of the media and government is structured, how do you convince people that gender issues are newsworthy? Uh you know like I said when we when we started Behenbox we we did that because we we felt those stories needed to be told. Uh we felt that that was the right thing to do. Um now with when when as part of the google news uh, uh initiatives uh, lab uh when we did the audience service what we quickly figured was that uh that niche outlets like us which focused on gender issues uh, our audience was telling us that they needed this information so uh so in a way uh it seemed to us that these issues that audience finds these issues newsworthy it's just that it isn't reported enough so in some ways we are sort of we 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 have uh, you know what we saw instinctually what we felt instinctually is what our audience and uh, uh, people around were telling us that this sort of storytelling uh, is important and it it is newsworthy it adds value to their uh, lives um the 
the bigger newsworthiness uh, sort of uh, challenge uh, would be to convince the rest of the media ecosystem uh, to to sort of do this as well you know because part of the reason why we are doing this apart from uh, you know all the gaps we mentioned was that some needle has to move somewhere uh, that just one of us or two of us doing this is not enough you cannot talk leave out 50% of the population of the country from media coverage uh, from talking about their lives so so the that part is uh, is where i think we are playing a crucial role because and this we are doing through collaborations with certain friendly media outlets uh, where we are republishing our stories where you know where we are collaborating with them to uh, work on certain story, set of stories together and this is this is how we feel that uh, you know in the larger scheme of things also things are going to change and we've seen that happen uh, when we for example when we did uh, our investigative series on healthcare workers in india uh very early in the pandemic uh, and and how governments were failing them uh in paying even the pittance that they are paid as as their salaries uh the rest of the media kind of very quickly took that up and even today when you know the media talks about this these healthcare workers who believe me before before uh, the pandemic a lot of people didn't know this cadre of women healthcare workers existed in the country and they were doing this really yeoman service for the healthcare system and now a lot of uh, there, there's there's been a lot of spotlight on these healthcare workers after we did our stories and we realized that that's that is really how we can make a change in the wider uh, media ecosystem as well and therefore i believe that we we can it may be slow uh, it can be faster uh, but but there unless we do things uh, there is there is no way of convincing the rest of uh, of this ecosystem that these issues are newsworthy and um and that that's what we are doing every day actually what does the funding model look like for behem box so when we started uh, we were uh, we were uh, partly bootstrapped uh, and uh, we also relied a lot on grants and um, and and also some projects that we undertook with other organizations to provide services on storytelling gender related storytelling for them which was what formed the bulk of revenues uh but as i said earlier that uh, with the startups lab uh, and our audiences telling us that uh, you know not only were did they see value in what we were doing but also that they would pay for it um that that kind of and also the fact that they saw us being in the business of change so we have using all of these insights from the lab what we have tried to what what we are pivoting towards is a more user generated revenue uh, now so we're looking at a combination of membership a model in the next 6 months that we're trying to launch a combination of membership model and subscription uh, or, or and a hybrid of both uh, which is essentially more user generated revenue but also as part of the labs one of the things uh, th- things we realized was since we were we realized we were in the business of creating change uh, and tools for creating change we discovered new sort of segments 
uh, that need that could be served with specific products uh, which mm-hmm. we are developing for different audiences which are again um, revenue generating so uh, these are some of the models that we are looking at uh, going forward in the next 6 months in fact we are already in the awesome. process of building some of them and then we, the last thing we ask all our guests is what's the last thing you read or saw that really affected you i think this morning we were working on our newsletter and uh, you know every saturday we send out a newsletter our newsletter which is a generic newsletter which is a wrap of all sort of gender related news uh, in india and across the world and every week when we work on this uh, newsletter we realize how much you know as we move forward how much we really are moving backwards for example today for the last two weeks we've been talking about abortion rights uh, with respect to the roe v leak draft leak in the us and what that made us look into was a uh, situation in india you know we use that as a as a way to look at oh, because in india uh, abortion is legal up till 24 weeks with certain exceptions but those are what laws say so when we looked at the reality of uh, abortion uh laws in india and how they work and they do not work um what we realized was the massive gaps and no one was talking about it and those meant testimonies of women who were denied abortion even though we have laws that denied abortion because they didn't uh, they did not possess a, a a digital identification card right oh, so that that made me think uh you know uh every time we move a step forward we are moving centuries backward and this is this is a theme of our newsletter every week after week and this is why we are doing what we are doing i suppose so if you haven't been listening to this for a while or just a quick reminder that we do have a coffee page where you can contribute um a one off tea virtually Um, that will help us do the stuff that we do but we noticed the other day we have more monthly subscribers than we thought we did so thank you all very very much for giving us that monthly contribution and you can do that by going to our website voices.media and while you're on our website you can also sign up for our daily newsletter if you want to see us in your inbox every single morning if you want to get peter's rant straight to your inbox um yeah you can sign up for that <laughs> at voices.media but until next week when we'll be back with another fantastic rant and maybe even a guest please do stay safe and goodbye ta ta